Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes. Open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Now, this morning's sermon is the last in a series, a series that has been called Go and Do. Go and Do, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, that that we are asking ourselves what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to go into the world with the grace of God and to live faithfully as disciples. And as the last sermon in this series, I want to begin addressing the scripture by sharing a story where I failed. (laughs) When I was in high school, there was this teacher who started an academic quiz bowl team. And I was invited to be on the team, and I was very excited. The academic quiz bowl uh, is a fast-paced academic game where schools field teams of four that compete against each other. It's kind of like Jeopardy, but without the money. Questions cover a wide range of subjects. I specialized in literature and humanities. And some of the preparations that we made were covering all these different questions, learning how secrets to getting that buzzer in really well. And after some preparation, we went to a regional competition. And after a couple of rounds, successful rounds, we were feeling pretty good, probably too good. We waited to meet our next competitor. And when they walked through the door, they were a group of four long-haired, scruffy kids dressed all in black from a town that we'd never heard of. They were each wearing well-worn concert t-shirts from beloved rock bands like Rancid, The Misfits, and Green Day. Our feeling of meat being thrown to us sharks was best summed up by one of my classmates who leaned over and said, piece of cake. Well, we were wrong, very wrong. They schooled us. They buzzed in faster. They answered quicker. They didn't get any questions wrong. And we ended up losing by a landslide. Our confidence shaken, we faltered through the rest of the day, the rest of the tournament until we were eliminated. And because it was our first big regional experience, we decided we'd stick around for the final to see the best take on the best. And when the teams walked out, we could hardly recognize the four who utterly destroyed us. They traded their punk rock personas for matching blue tuxedos. Their hair was neat and slicked back. And their final victory with the other top team was a lot like our assumptions about these four individuals were entirely wrong. Now, trying to define another person for ourselves can get us into trouble, clearly, like a Pharisee meeting a tax collector in the temple. 
The Pharisee looks over and regards the tax collector with contempt. Now, Jesus is telling this parable for a reason. You see, the scripture says that Jesus is telling it to some individuals who saw themselves as righteous and viewed other people with contempt. Now, the tax system at the time of Jesus was notoriously corrupt. It was dishonest. It was driven by self-interest and greed. And tax collectors were at the heart of those who benefited the system. They were allowed to tack on a little bit to line their own pockets. And so when the Pharisee looks over and rejects this tax collector, he's rejecting someone he knows is benefiting at the expense of his neighbors. The Pharisee looks over and offers this strange prayer to God. God, thank you that I am not like other people, like thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even this tax collector. Now, before we turn our judgment from tax collectors to Pharisees, it probably should be noted that faithful and obedient Pharisees were actually quite successful as religious persons. I mean, they get a bad reputation for their enthusiastic devotion, especially from us modern preachers. They get accused of being legalistic or hypocritical or closed-minded, and this really isn't entirely true, and it's probably not fair. The Pharisees were dedicated to close observance of the law of Moses, And there's something to be said for the lives that Pharisees lived. Pharisees were generous, very generous. They obediently tithed according to the Bible, which instructs that persons of faith are to give 10% of their income. This is hard, but Pharisees embraced this rule. Pharisees read scriptures closely, daily, asking questions about their meaning and learning about their meaning. Pharisees were focused on rituals for cleansing the body as well as the kitchen. And the rituals promoted healthy living for themselves, for their families, for the whole community. And their attention to many different kinds of rituals actually proved for people a sense that God was always near. Pharisees embraced rituals that helped people know God's close presence in the many different kinds of circumstances that we face in our living. So the problem in the parable is not that the Pharisee is a Pharisee. The problem is that the Pharisee looks at the tax collector and sees a person who will never be able to be more than a tax collector. But Jesus tells us that God sees something more. Jesus pushes back to say that each person belongs to God, and God calls each person good. Regardless of what another might say to diminish this truth, God sees a person worth much more than any worldly definition. 
And while the judgment is being described in the parable, the tax collector standing off at a distance has his head down before God, asking for mercy. This tax collector left the temple receiving God's mercy. In this statement, the fact that Jesus says this is so provocative. It's provocative because the tax collector received mercy in what some would say is without conditions. That is, that the tax collector didn't do anything to earn or or deserve this grace, this mercy of God. The Pharisee, this righteous, faithful, obedient person, receives the same grace, the same mercy, even with all of their efforts, as the dishonest, questionable, lacking tax collector. But you see, God looks over at this Pharisee and sees far more than an obedient rule follower. God looks over the tax, at the tax collector and sees far more than a corrupt official. God loves them both unconditionally, no matter what, the way God loves each of us. God's love looks deeper, looks into a person finding an identity given by God. Not an identity defined by a world prepared to diminish. God's love is generous like this, looking deeper, finding something more than what's on the surface. Now, if we read our scriptures closely, we begin to see that this it really is how God works. God loves generously. Nothing holds God's mercy back. And God comes to us repeatedly, continuously, with compassion and with grace, and a grace that just will not stop. And that experience can, can take hold of a life. It can take hold of our lives. It can change us, transform us when we experience it. Even when, even when we don't want to change. Even when we don't feel like we are prepared for it. And when we experience such a grace happens is that we somehow are compelled to respond to God's love, compels a response to share what God has done in us. Whether we're individuals or part of a whole faith community, a church, the church responds with God's grace and gratitude continually, which is a gratitude that wants to bring hope and peace and mercy into people's lives and into the life of the world seeks to cultivate goodness in a world that is faithful and far bigger than just ourselves. Now, in a world where contempt can easily be found, where judgment is so often wielded like the Pharisee in the parable, the church has gifts that can cultivate profound understandings of God's love, not because of how great the church is or its people, We can be fallible after all. And it's not because the church is 
better than other people or more beautiful than others. The church shares God's love through ministries that remind people that they too are loved. That reminds people that they are deserving of that love that God gives and that proclaims that each person is a beloved child of God. God's love reflected by the church can do marvelous things. But the question for us is, how do we participate that God is doing? We've been talking about this all through the fall. But since we are in our stewardship season, we are in a time when we are thinking about why we support such ministries. And every Sunday, we do dedicate an offering that we make before God, to God, for these ministries as they are lived through the offering this that we make is financial, but it's also more than financial. We dedicate our energy, our abilities, our relationships. And as today is Stewardship Dedication Sunday, today is a day when we add to this dedication our larger commitments for the coming year. We add this to the gratitude that we make to God in our practice of worshiping God with our offering. Now our commitment is to being part of of our commitment, the commitment we make is, is about giving our money to God for work through the church. And this supports the ministries and mission that the church makes possible. Now these ministries build community for church members as well as for our neighbors. They enrich the culture of the city with music that is sacred, that is classical, that is jazz. These ministries empower students in education. They promote food security. They provide a safe and sacred place for worship, including life events like weddings and funerals and baptisms and many different seasons. Our commitments allow for our gatherings that help us to grow in deeper knowledge of God's love for us and for all people. Sometimes when we talk about stewardship, we talk about it with a hope that someone else will take care of this or, or that the church's endowment will sustain it without us. It just isn't so. It sure would make talking about the finances of the church pretty easy if it did. And truth be told, the invested funds of this church helps, but it is far from doing it all. See, the endowment and invested funds basically pays to keep this building open. The lights on, the heat going in the winter, the AC Everything in the Everything else happens because of the investment of energy and resources and money of the people who worship here. So one way of thinking about the church's finances are this. The money from these funds were given by church members who are now in the church triumphant, members from previous generations who've died. And their legacy maintains a sacred place for people to live their faith on the east side in the city of Detroit. Everything else 
That is what the congregation gives in stewardship and in its leadership and its volunteering allows for the mission and the ministry of this church to happen. And like Bill said, you and I could tell stories about why we should give to the church because of all the incredible, amazing things that happen because of people right here in this congregation. You could tell stories about the many ways that this church changes lives. But in light of this morning's scripture, the church's budget is not why I want you to think about why you give. I want us to think about for the growth of our own spiritual lives and for the faith of the church to grow. Giving money, after all, is as much a practice of our faith as it is to pray or to worship or to serve. And when we give, we give according to the ways that we've been blessed. We are all different people, and so we all give according to But I want us to think about the ways that God is generous and merciful and how our identity is found in in the mercy and the love of God. Not in the myriad of other ways that people in the world might try to measure a person. This morning is an ancient reminder that people will try. I hope we give not because a budget needs to be formed, but because the church stands firm, remembering that every person belongs to God. And that, a, that the church reminds people every day that their identity in God's eyes is the identity of a person who is deeply cherished, loved immensely, and is absolutely worthy of that love. We can remember this because God enters our lives and shapes us with mercy, just as Jesus describes in the scripture this morning. So whether you have mailed your pledge into the church, whether you plan on dropping it in the plate later in the service, whether you need time to pray about making a pledge or whether you need more because it is a practice that is new to you, you will consider participating because it is an act of faith, an act of responding. It is an act of participating in all that God is doing through the life of the church and through the life of these people, each which includes each of you. So I hope you will consider committing to making a pledge and financially giving. But I also hope that you will prayerfully think about the other ways you give too. For just as a church is not defined primarily by its budget, each individual here is not defined primarily by its finan- their Being financial a church gifts. that turns toward the world to share God's mercy and love It's a church that invites the participation of time and energy and relationships of all people. And through that participation, people in our community, our neighborhood, our city will also experience the gifts of God's mercy. Through you, church. And they will know the gifts of a deeper love 
a stronger identity, a fairer world because of the church that this church is because it's living out who God has called us to be. know such gifts and share such gifts today, tomorrow, all the days of our lives and into the life eternal. Thanks be to God. Amen.